Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. The referendum is a matter of uh, restorative justice, of fixing up something we know we can't actually fix up in the totality of it, but it's the best we can do. It's the best that the future leaders of our country, the young people of today, are entitled to be given as they develop the, the future ways in which we're going to relate to each other. That will give pride and dignity and honour to all of us, particularly the young people. I appeal to them because this is your future. I'm 75. Hello, lovely Potters. Welcome to the show. You're with Catherine Murphy. I'm political editor of Guardian Australia and the host of Australian Politics. I'm back this week from a period on the sidelines and I'm coming to you today from Ngunnawal country. My guest this week joins me all the way from Yaru country. Patrick Dodson is known uh, as the father of reconciliation because he's devoted his professional life to preserving the culture of Indigenous people and also to improving relations between the original inhabitants of our continent and the folks who have been here since colonisation. The context, I think, for this conversation is pretty obvious. Uh, This week, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, launched the Yes campaign in Adelaide ahead of a referendum which is looming on October the 14th. Pat is a Labor senator from Western Australia and he is the government's special envoy for the implementation of the Uluru Statement. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. Now, uh, we've got so much to talk about in terms of the voice and we're going to get there very shortly, but I just want to do a couple of things up front. Now, you've been ill, so I'm very grateful that you found the time and the energy to have this conversation in such an important week. Do you want to share with the listeners how you're travelling? Yeah, no, and thanks thanks for that opportunity. Uh, I've just returned from Perth for the last uh, treatment on uh, chemo. Uh, that's six over the last, I don't know, four months or so, five months. Uh, and, and I'm uh, going in the right direction, thankfully. It's been a long ordeal, but I want to thank all of those who've sent me messages of... Um, get well and best wishes. Uh, there's been a lot of people do that and I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, 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 been a, it's been a tough road and in recent days, of course, shingles hasn't helped oh, <laughs> God. the underlying uh, ailment that I've had. But um, no, the doctors tell me I'm going in the right direction and, uh, and I'll go back for some um, observations in, the, in October sometime. So uh, it's been, uh, been hard sitting on the sideline, but I really do appreciate the support of many, many Australians across the board wishing me well and, and speedy recovery. So I want to express my thanks to them all for that and thank you for the opportunity to do that. No worries and I'll add my best wishes for a speedy recovery as well to the many messages that I'm sure you've 
you've had over the last few months, and I'm I'm very glad to hear your voice. So uh, the second thing I just wanted to do before we plunge into the conversation about the voice is that I want to send salutations to your country in Broome. Uh, I visited there recently for the first time in my life. My mother died earlier this year, oh. and Broome was her very favourite place on the planet. And uh, I'd never been there, but having been there, I now understand why. It's a truly magical place that somehow embodies the spirit of an ancient continent, and I'm so glad that you're healing on your own country. Uh, My brother and sister went up there basically to walk in our mother's footsteps, but we found ourselves appreciating a much bigger story of our own country. And so I just wanted to pay that respect to you as a Yaru elder before we launch into this conversation. So... Yeah, amazing place. There's a tourism ad for Broome, folks, but it's amazing. It really is genuinely amazing yeah. place. So, no, let's... So, so, sorry to hear about your mum's passing. Oh. And, uh, it, it is an amazing place and, uh, you know, it's, it's got its own unique history in many, many ways and uh, hopefully some of that we might talk about. But the whole of the Kimberley, the Pilbara, Gascoigne, the, you know, the northern parts of Australia are unique and Broome is very unique in many, many ways and... Uh, I'm glad you're able to come back and share in some of the spiritual aspects that no doubt your mum was impressed by when she uh, she walked on these lands and uh, amongst the Yaru people and other people from here. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, so thank you. Anyway, now let's get on to the voice because I'm very conscious uh, that there will be listeners grappling with this issue for the first time. So I think it's helpful if we can start with a simple explanation. What is the voice to Parliament and how will this body work? Well, in very simple terms, it's an advisory body to Parliament, no more, no less, and to the executive government. And it'll give advice on matters that affect the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples. There are some design guidelines for the legislation in the wake of a successful referendum, but it will work on the basis of consulting with the regions, making sure that um, uh, local and, and regional areas are, are well represented in their issues and their concerns. It'll work with other uh, peak bodies that are already doing some wonderful work and trying to close the gap. It, it'll grapple with the, the key issues that we all know about only too well, like health, housing, domestic violence, children out of care home, the over-incarceration rates. Well, all of those matters that we hear too much about and we're not making as much progress as we'd love to do. And I know all Australians want to see that sort of um, gap close and so do the Aboriginal people. We do need the support, though, of the non-Aboriginal people in a referendum because they are the majority and this is about the Australian voters who can change our constitution, recognise the Aboriginal people, allow them the opportunity to have their say which won't bind the government, won't require it to, or obligate it to do what it says. Parliament remains supreme. It'll legislate the voice, uh, its composition, its purposes, its functions. Uh, it'll be debated in the parliament like every other piece of legislation. So the opposition and the crossbenchers will, will know what, uh, what the detail is in, in great, uh, in great spate. Um, but what we're faced with though now is a, a set of words that have been worked on, initially proposed by the Prime Minister, but based on a lot of discussion, consultation through the Minister, the Attorney-General, and I was involved to, to some, some extent in the Assistant uh, Aboriginal Affairs Minister, with an Aboriginal representative group and a large group of Aboriginal people and with constitutional lawyers. 
to work with the, the initial words that the PM put up at Gama and to come up with the words that are now the ones that we're asking the Australian people to support for inclusion in our constitution, a new chapter, Chapter 19, which basically recognises the First Peoples as the, the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples as the First Peoples of this country, that, that, that sets up a voice for that body that may make representations to the parliament and to the executive of the government and that uh, will be legislated for by the parliament. So fundamentally, it's about a voice to improve the way governments make policies and laws that impact the Aboriginal people if the parliament so want, wants to do so. So the parliament still remains in control of this. The significance is putting it in the constitution is an act of recognition of the first peoples of this lands. And that goes back to a, a longer debate and discussion about the discredited legal fiction of terra nullius, that there was no one here when the British came, that, the, you know, there was, this is vacant land so the British could take it. They knew the Aboriginal people were here, but they, we didn't count. We were flora and fauna. And the, what they meant was there were no white people here mm. and so they could take it. Um, there's a long history... Uh, of um, dispossession, alienation, denial, policies that have subjugated Aboriginal people to the whims and fancies of the parliaments of the day, of the governments of the day, and that includes all parties that we've got, Labor and Liberal and National Party, whoever were running the country at the time. But fundamental policies like the assimilationist policy, which really denied Aboriginal people any real say over the direction in the way they wanted to participate in our society. So it forced uh, people to um, look for other means and we've had some very good results, as, as most Australians will know. We've took a long time to come to the Mabo judgment with Eddie Mabo and those fine lawyers um, arguing the case that there was a thing called native title which didn't come up with the boats when they came out from Britain but was inherent to this country and that the fiction on which the British settled and colonised the nation, the legal fiction of terra nullius was a lie mm. and and that this title um, was here all the time and we've tried to deal with that through native title and there's been some success with that and good agreements have been made in, in a lot of places uh, around that. So we've been making some good advances and there's some good economic advances. Uh, there are a lot of people trying to make things better but the constancy of a voice to the parliament on matters that not only contemporaneously affect Aboriginal people, but we've got to look to the future as well. The future of our cultures, our way of, you know, sustaining that, sharing it. Um, just as an aside, I had the privilege um, earlier this year of going with the Foreign Affairs Minister to the United Nations. I was at our consul's um, place in, in New York and um, he had uh, paintings up on the wall of Central Australia, the dot paintings, and they belonged to the actor Steve Martin. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Steve Martin was uh, uh, the, the guest that night at the, at the dinner that he put on, and what a wonderful man. Absolutely fascinated by this ancient, ritual, spiritual, mysterious interaction of the Aboriginal people, their environment, and the spiritual domain. Now, you know, a, a person like Steve Martin, who has probably the largest collection of Central Australian art in the world and share that with us through our consuls in New York. I mean, this is what you want all Australians to be able to appreciate and the recognition 
in the Constitution gives us that opportunity to start advancing, uh, get beyond the, the, the historical legacies that we know we've got to resolve and we, we're working towards that and we will work towards those things in the future. But we've got to get the equity question clear and we've got to get the equality question clear. And the equality questions are about getting on par with the ordinary citizens in this country and the equity issues obviously about the legacy issues of the past of dispossession and alienation and denied justice uh, to Aboriginal people. So, you know, if, if Steve Martin, a brilliant actor, has such rapport, respect and admiration for Aboriginal uniqueness, then that's something I'd love to see all Australians share and that we as Aboriginal people are able to share with all Australians in a way that helps celebrate the uniqueness of the first peoples of this country rather than us constantly arguing about, you know, which is the best way to do something in the social policy space. Yeah, I think people listening to your argument there about the importance of recognition and story acknowledgement in terms of the history of the continent can understand that as as a right that needs to be wronged. I'm sure there will be people listening to this podcast, Pat, who think to themselves, okay, well, the voice is an advisory body. There's stacks of them all around the place advising governments all the time. Why do Indigenous people require their own advisory body and how will that make a difference in terms of going to the heart of those issues that you were referring to. So for somebody who's in that position, listening to us today, thinking, well, what does an advisory body do? Why should I back this one? What's your answer? Well, it it does a couple of things. One, it gives the respect and the recognition to the first peoples of this country in our constitution. That's the first thing. We were left out of the Constitution. They thought we were a dying race. It wasn't until 67 that the federal government got the power under Section 5126 to actually make laws for us as Aboriginal people. Prior to that, it was up to the states. And we weren't even counted in the census until that time. So we've come a long way since that. But what the voice will do is recognise the first peoples of this country. Secondly, it'll give it a permanency that just can't be disbanded. We've had advisory bodies in the past that have, once they become critical of government or come into disrepute because of some way of of misbehaving or whatever, then they were dismissed. That can still happen under the parliament uh, because the parliament remains supreme here. The fact that you're in the constitution doesn't mean you've got, you know, the super guarantee you'll you'll always be there. You'll be in the constitution, but whether you get the executive uh, enactment of that head of power depends on the political will. So... The advisory component is in respect of the parliament of this nation. It is the authority that governs and rules us under the constitution. Now, the Aboriginal people who put up the proposition for the voice acknowledged that and hoped that there would be sufficient basis for the conservatives of this nation to acknowledge that, one, Aboriginal people respect the parliament and its authority and its capacity to exercise that authority. Secondly, it recognises that the High Court remains uh, the independent arbitrator of how we govern and uh, the legitimacy and validity of our laws and practices, so that the architecture of our democracy in terms of our politics and our governance and our uh, legislature remains intact. So the Aboriginal people say we respect that. 
But what we also want to do is be able to give you constant advice and good advice and better advice. And you know, as a government, when you get good advice, you get good interaction and you allow us to participate in developing the solutions and the strategies and deliver the execution of those uh, strategies and solutions, that helps improve our situation. And that leads to cost, uh, you know, cost savings. It leads to better outcomes, quality of life, better relationships uh, between us and, and the mainstream society, and hopefully a greater level of participation in the very good things in mainstream society, which a lot of people can do or try to do in our nation anyway, despite the adversities of uh, ignorance and racism that they often encounter. So the referendum is a matter of uh, restorative justice, mm. of fixing up something we know we can't actually fix up in the in the totality of it, but it's the best we can do. It's the best that the future leaders of our country, the young people of today, are entitled to be given as they develop the, the future ways in which we're going to relate to each other. And and, and I would I would say that that will give pride and dignity and honour to all of us if we, the current adults of this nation who will vote, and, and, and particularly the young people, I appeal to them because this is your future. I'm 75. You know, I've, I, I flew over the Pilbara the other day and thought of the, the Pilbara strike uh, back in the 1946. I was born in 48. It went on till 49. And these were people who were indentured, basically enslaved on pastoral stations, living on rations in a, in a triangle which involved the native affairs, the pastoralists and the police uh, and, and then the, the agitators that try to get improvements for their conditions. So, you know, there's a long history. I, I grew up in Catherine and I saw the, the Rights for Whites meeting uh, where, where Vincent Lingiari had walked off the, the, the Lord Vesti's properties and brought horror and shock to the to the, uh, you know, the, the establishment that, heck, how dare these Aboriginal people want better wages and conditions and, and want a better quality of life? Uh, I, you know, I was about 19 when the 67 referendum took place and I great admire Faith Bandler and, and Jesse Street, uh, you know, a South Sea Island woman and a white woman fighting for the rights and recognition of Aboriginal people and change to the constitution. And I've, I've lived through most of the other things of Mabo and Wick and, and Native Title and, and and uh, land rights and so forth. And, and even the Malaripum case, the, the Namalco case, which, you know, upheld the, the, the sanctity of the legal discredited fiction of Terra Nullius, that uh, the Crown is supreme. Well, that was destroyed basically under Mabo. So we've got some big issues uh, as a nation uh, that in time we need to work our way through, but we've, we, we need the Aboriginal voices in a, in a respected capacity, in a unique capacity, because they're the original peoples of this country and there's, there's grievances and injustices that we have to resolve. It's not only the social problems, but they want to be able to live in a modern society, participating in this society, but uniquely expressing their particular social, cultural value systems that influences the great uh, multicultural society that we do have. But being allowed to do that in a way instead of the... Uh, legacies of assimilation telling us there's only one way for you to behave in the, or, or to live in this society. So um, just picking up on a couple of points there. So the voice is a mechanism to deal with restorative justice for the reasons that you've outlined. It's a mechanism to basically develop policy or require parliamentarians to listen to feedback from people on the ground who have ideas about how to better make policy and deliver programs. I'm also interested in the voice 
as as a model for dealing with intergenerational trauma, which is a theme running through everything that we're talking about, Pat. Uh, People who have suffered trauma, their ancestors have suffered trauma, their families have suffered trauma. Obviously, one of the the key things to moving on and healing is being listened to. (laughs) So uh, I wonder whether there's an element of that as well that perhaps uh, white Australia may not appreciate I don't know. I mean, you, only you can answer this question. I'm just putting it before you as a thought. Is is that part of the rationale as well? Uh, absolutely, because this is about healing. It's not only healing the wounds and trauma uh, that Aboriginal people have suffered as a consequence of being conquered and subjugated to policies and practices, but it's also an opportunity to heal the wounds uh, in the non-Aboriginal society uh, for, for them to understand that not everything that they've done in this country is bad. Not everything that they've uh, attempted is wrong. Mm. Uh, that, there, that there are really good things that have happened. Um, we've, we've had our people fight side by side with our soldiers in, in the various wars. Uh, we come together when there's adversities. Uh, we fight fires and floods and, you know, we're a great nation. When we, we overlook the differences and diversities that we do have, when we're in adverse situations. Now, we've got to be able to do that on a, on a regular, normal basis where the uniqueness and the difference and diversities that we all bring is respected and tolerated and we can appreciate and celebrate it. Now, the Aboriginal people have got to be part of that, not, not an add-on. We're, we're not the add-on to the nation's uh, society's, uh, you know, essence. We are part of that essence but we've never been included as part of that essence. People still resent welcome to country. We've got to mature in, in a manner where we acknowledge how this country was taken from the Aboriginal people. We've got to come to a way where we can tell the historical narratives in a respectful, meaningful way so that we can all heal, we can all understand what took place and how it took place and how we were somehow caught up in it, either because we were ignorant of it or we just were, had no idea what was going on. Um, but we can, we can become more learned. I mean, there's some wonderful revelations being written about in, in, in many of these historical encounters these days. And, and people, we've got to have a good Australian history curriculum uh, that isn't just about the, you know, the explorers and uh, the great uh, establishment of our industries. We've got to be able to celebrate the Aboriginal people within those narratives, as well as the good and the bad. I mean, there are Aboriginal people who, were, you know, were in, co-opted into the into the mounted police in the early period, and they were part of the you know the, the shooting and killing of Aboriginal people themselves. So all of this history has got to be told in a manner that's respectful and honest, and 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 we as Australians are going to try and find some common bases for a a common narrative with its diversity. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's ups and downs, but in a way that brings us forward, takes us forward, so that the healing, the anxiety, the embarrassment, the shame, uh, the, the guilt can be appeased. We've, we've got to get to a cathartic occasion. And to some extent, the, the, the sorry apology by Kevin Rudd was, was, a, was a bit of a cathartic moment for those who were, were part of the, you know, the stolen generations. It didn't solve everything, but it was, I, was in the, I was in the parliament that day. I saw the tears run down the eyes of, of many of those people. 
But, you know, this is a moment in a referendum where we could come to a, to a new cathetic moment in any our existence. It won't solve everything, but it will put us beyond the, the sense of guilt, not knowing where to go, uh, the sense of shame, and, and, and we, can, we can grow through the truth-telling in the future and the agreement-making we go down in, in the future into a, into a better nation based on truth, based on honour and based on respect and appreciation for why we did things in the way we did them. And, and you know, we'll probably find more common ground than we see as division. We only see division at the moment. We only see the, 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 the downsides. You know, my, my, my good friend and nephew, Michael Long, he's, he's on a long walk again, mm. you know. Yes. He's, uh, he's walking to, to, to stop the hatred. His first walk was to ask the Prime Minister, where was the love for our people? Now, this time he's walking to say, let's stop the hatred. Mm. Now, you know, this is leadership from a, a, a very humble bloke. Yes. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm just thinking of Michael, that's all. I know, I understand that. Let's just let's just pause a minute. Yeah, I understand. Okay, you're right to pick up? You're right to go? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I okay. played football with his father, that's why. I know, I understand. Mm. Um, okay, so your own history, Pat, with The Voice uh, is an interesting one because, uh, and I don't want to bog us down in the entire recitation of history of recognition, no. but because <laughs> it's a long one. Um, it is. But, uh, but anyway, this is not where you started, right? You wrote very compellingly and interestingly recently in the monthly magazine that the voice enshrined in the Constitution, so the model that we're talking about and thinking about at this referendum, was, you said, a triumph for Noel Pearson, another very prominent Indigenous leader, and constitutional conservatives who were concerned that other proposals that were kicking around in the past would work like a Bill of Rights. So um, the point of me drawing or teasing that out is the voice is not where you started, but you've become a champion of this model. Why? Well, you're right. I didn't start with the voice. As you know, I'd co-chaired uh, two committees, that one firstly set up by Julia Gillard with the, the, the reputable lawyer from Melbourne, uh, Mr Mark Liebler, and we made recommendations to uh, her parliament uh, for a change to Section 5126, which involved a uh, sustain, keeping the, the substantive head of power but a preambular statement governing the head of power, which is about recognition. And then there was a non-discrimination clause. Now, that wasn't accepted. Then I got appointed with uh, Mark again and uh, uh, Tony Abbott and uh, Bill Shorten to co-chair the recent committee that uh, reported to Malcolm Turnbull. And, and in that process, the voice became the dominant uh, feature. And, and Noel's interaction with the Conservatives was one that uh, uh, was, was being put forward as, as a way to hopefully get the more conservative elements, and, and he wasn't alone. There's Julian Lisa and others that were involved in these things. Uh, but he was um, uh, very clear about the fact that unless we got the conservatives on side, then we'd have very little hope of mm-hmm. getting anyone in Australia to back this in. But over time, it's become clear to me that the hard work 
of Megan Davis, Pat Anderson, a lot of the, the Aboriginal leaders who, who go unsung. And the many, many ordinary people, Aboriginal people, who know that um, having a voice through which they can direct their concerns to the big people, as it were, to the parliament, it won't always get the outcomes they want, but they know that that is a very, very important and fundamental way to be recognised and a way to have their position put before the biggest entity in the country, the parliament and the executive government. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was um, confronted, I suppose, or, or not confronted, but when I saw the reaction of the uh, Prime Minister at the time, Mr Turnbull, who basically threw this out the door, I, I was really disappointed and, and, and annoyed and angry uh, that he just dismissed it without giving it due consideration. And I'd had some discussions with him previous to that and he knew what my views were on the voice. But um, the fact that there'd been a number of dialogues leading up to Uluru, they're always robust, uh, our, our, our discussions. I don't think I've ever been to one where there hasn't been disagreements or arguments. But they're always... Uh, end up with some consensus or agreement. And if you stay the course, ultimately you'll see that there's wisdom in, in, in the matters that come out of it. And that's what came out of Uluru, that the, the consensus uh, position was the Uluru statement from the heart, which talked about the tyranny of our dispossession, which talked about the um, need for a voice to be uh, enshrined in the constitution, which, which wanted that voice to be able to make representations to the parliament and the executive, and which, which really wanted to be able to engage on, a, on the basis with the Australian people a, a, a way to go forward and, and not to constantly look to the past and, and offered us a vision as a nation. And I thought, well, that's a pretty big insight and, and, and who am I to stand in the road of something that many other leaders have, have come to uh, because of, you know, the work that I'd put in on two other committees mm. and other things. And I, and I, and I know there's, that the legacy of 5126 is still there in, in, in law and we'll need to confront that at some stage. But uh, that, that uh, the racism inherent in that or the capacity to use that power adverse to the interests of Aboriginal people is still there. Mm. So, you know, we haven't dealt with that issue, but no doubt when a parliament wants to use that power in the future, having a voice to the parliament on how they might exercise their their authority under that head of power would be a very, very important thing and their voice would be not only known to the parliament and to the executive but to the Australian people as to what they think mm. about what the proposition is. And, and you know, that's, that's a critical thing because to date it's been ministers, it's been representatives, it's been some good people in the parliament trying to uphold the position, the position that Aboriginal people want to advocate and, of course, Politics is a is a very uh, a very tough game, and it's 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 party party politics. It's uh, you know you're Labor, Liberal, National, or you're Independent, or you're something else, um, and 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 your adherences are to those particular uh, party platforms or, or, or policies. Uh, you're not there primarily for Aboriginal people or any one people. You're there for all citizens, or those in your electorate, or as a senator, you're there for the state, and and all people in that state. So. You try to cover the field, but a voice to the parliament for Aboriginal peoples, the first peoples of this country, focused on matters that affect them, reminding the parliament in a constructive, positive, erudite, learned way on how the best way to make laws and policies for the future, uh, participation, contribution, sharing 
of our culture, our, our social values and our ways to participate in modernity uh, as well as fix up some of the problems that are beleaguing us at the moment. It's got to be a positive thing. I mean, you know, I, I grew up under the welfare system when my parents died and they used to send a welfare officer up from Hamilton because I was at a boarding school in Hamilton in the Western Districts. And this bloke asked the, the matron or the, the lady of the, of the, of the farm uh, that I used to go on with, there were sheets on the bed. I mean, you know, we've come a long way from that, thank God, because she shirt fronted him and he never came back. But, um, you know, this, there's good people out there. Yeah, there are good people out there. For certain, there are good people out there. You've made uh, the case, obviously, for why this, in the event that Australians vote yes, uh, the practical benefits that would accrue to Indigenous Australians and, and to all of us by dealing with issues in the past, by setting up a mechanism that allows consultation about the future and modernity, I think, as you put it. But in the event that Australians do vote no, we've got to countenance a couple of propositions, Pat. So in the event that there is a no vote, do you think that the Albanese government should seek to legislate the voice? So remove the constitutional recognition element, but push ahead with legislation in order to set up the advisory body. Uh, because uh, to my mind, if there's a no vote, we're sort of not only looking at the defeat of that voice mechanism, but we're also looking at a massive setback for the other elements of the, of the contemporary recognition and reconciliation agenda, which is truth and treaty. So should Anthony Albanese legislate in the event that Australians rebuff the constitutionally enshrined voice? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it'll depend on the analysis of the vote, you know, what, what the percentages are within each of the states and the, and the majority uh, counts. It's quite a complex uh, issue. Uh, you know, if every, if every state, for instance, voted no, well, that'd be a, a big slap in the face for anything, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, but, it, but if, uh, you know, we, we, we do get, uh, four out of the six, uh, states voting yes, uh, even, even by the slightest majority, that's still something you've got to take account of. Uh, but if it's a, if, if it's a good, uh, return out of the four against the other two, uh, well, you know, you, you've, you've got to work with all of that. So is that a maybe? Because I'm trying to sort of think about, without prejudging an outcome that we don't know, I'm trying to think about what happens sort of uh, on the yes side, and we'll get to a couple of yes questions in a minute, but on the no side, uh, legislation is a viable option. Should the government exercise it? Well, I'm not, I'm not so clear. I'm not against that. And, and we are a federation, remember. We've got Victoria going in a particular direction with a with a body down there that's uh, talking about treaty making and uh, representation. You've got South Australia that's put off the legislation to set up a voice to their parliament. Uh, Queensland's got some truth commission going. Um, so the, as a federation, uh, it may well be that the states pick up the game a bit better mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and put voices into, uh, into existence that advises their particular parliaments. Um, but there are big issues for um, for the national parliament that uh, it needs to be informed about in terms of the you know the position of first peoples. Uh, but it, it, I think there'll be a lot of soul searching initially, and, and as I say, good analysis of where the where the count went. I mean, I, I despair at the fact that we've missed a great opportunity, but I, I wouldn't despair that uh, we can't go forward. Mm. Uh, whether that's the national legislation, I, I, I'm not so sure whether we'd be wanting to rush to that immediately. 
or whether we'd do some analysis and say, well, maybe we reconsider and we look at the Makarata Commission um, and how that's to be constructed, the truth-telling. I mean, this has been about sequencing in some ways. And this has been the priority issue that the First Peoples have asked us to deal with as a government, mm-hmm. uh, which is a voice enshrined in the Constitution. And to uh, the Prime Minister's credit, he's, he's honoured that. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of wise people in the Labor Party, and I'm saying I know there's some on the other side. Uh, but, you know, I think we've got to make sure that the nation remains committed to, to dealing with the position of the First Peoples in this country in a proper, respectful way, and the, the highest way we can do that is recognition in our constitution. And then we get down to the nitty-gritty of how we resolve the practical issues and the, and the legacy issues. Um, legislation is not a recognition in, in many ways. It's, mm. it's an act of largesse by the parliament. Uh, but if the Australian people, if the Australian people in the referendum, because they're the people who will make the change, they'll say to the parliament, this is what we want you to do. We want you to put into the constitution that we are the bosses of a voice so that it can advise you, then that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's bigger than any party. That's bigger than any political proposal for legislation. So it's really about the people of Australia saying this is a good thing to do and we want to do it and we want the parliament to take note of it when it comes to the practicality of legislating. This is what the issue is. The Australian people are in control here. It's not the parliament. Let's do the counterfactual for a minute. Let's assume a yes vote. In the event the yes campaign succeeds, just a couple of quick questions that I think people would be quite interested in. How long do you think it would take to set the voice mechanism up? Should we see it before the next federal election? And I'm also interested because people who have been following the debate closely, and there'll be a lot of listeners to this show who have been following the debate closely, is the Calma Langton report still the starting point for designing the voice in the event that that is endorsed by the Australian people? Well, look, I I would think that the Calma Langton report is is a very good basis for it. They've done a lot of hard work. They did a lot of consultation and they put a lot of energy and and, and intellectual effort into what they put forward. And it would have to be the basis that uh, you would start from. Uh, and, and it may be extended beyond that because, as I say, states have got their own ideas about how some of these things are being done these days as well. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a good uh, guide and it's a pity the previous government didn't execute it and follow it through. Um, but it's not discounted. It's, it's on the table and it'll be analysed. In terms of timing, these things will take consultation with Aboriginal people. There'll be further consultations. Mm-hmm. How the regions and local people and organisations fit into this model is, is something that's critical. And there's a design, some design principles that have already been put forward on how that might happen uh, in a respectful way to the cultural uh, nuances in some of the places. There's native title bodies in existence, for instance, that have you know their own particular capacities and authorities. Uh, so there's a, there's a bit of a complexity in the in the Aboriginal political landscape as much as there is in the non-Aboriginal landscape mm. when you come to looking at how representation is going to work. Uh, but the intention is to make sure that it's representative, it's it's transparent, it's uh, inclusive of uh, gender and of youth. It won't have program funding. It doesn't administer programs. It doesn't bind the parliament. It has no veto capacity over parliament. But it, it will be a great source of advice to government on matters that so often governments of all political persuasions are baffled as to which is the best way to go forward. Mm. 
best will in the world, parliamentarians do their best, uh, but we don't always get it right. So it sounds from that answer, it does sound like we'd be unlikely to see it before the next federal election, which is bearing down at a rate of knots. Sounds like it might take a bit longer. There's been a lot of discussion about this. There's further discussions to be had. And I'm not the Prime Minister. You know, we've got a potential, we've got some other problems in the Parliament over the housing proposals that we put forward and uh, potentially, you know, a trigger there for double dissolution and all of those things. Uh, So... I, I can't predict the political landscape, but I would hope we would get it done in this life of this parliament uh, in, in a way that then enables us to draw on that advice that we are talking about from a voice to the parliament on key matters like the setting up of the Makarata Commission, like how we go about the social policy issues, how we deal with intergenerational trauma, how do we deal with incarceration rates, how do we deal with health and housing, domestic violence, all of those things. So we need to have a key uh, entity in place that can help us with closing the gap in addition to our very good organisations that are doing work and, and, and obviously the political capacity uh, and the political leadership at the federal level with, the, with our affiliations or with our federation, the states have got to come a lot further in how they respond to the administration and the participation and the sharing of power with our organisations to get the better outcomes. So, you know, th- th- these, are, these are matters of uh, conversations, discussions, dialogue, negotiations that a federal government can push on advice from an Aboriginal entity that advises the parliament and advises government. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, do you, if there is a yes vote, do you think that Peter Dutton should set aside his opposition to this concept? Because as you've said at multiple points during this interview, Pat, that uh, obviously, you know, the Australians are, are voting on the constitutional enshrinement and the principle and then the parliament will determine what this body you know, looks like going ahead in consultation, obviously, with Indigenous people. Do you think that Peter Dutton should set aside his opposition in the event that Australians endorse this body and seek to legislate in cooperation with the government? Well, look, Mr Dutton, I think, would be smart enough to know that if the Australian people voted in favour of the provision that's being put forward, uh, he'd be taking a very big risk to ignore, reject or spurn that outcome. Do you think he'll flip? He's a politician. Um, he, he would have to read the writing on the wall if he didn't. And, and, and I would hope that he did because we are a good country. Our future leaders, and it won't always be Labor leaders, but our future leaders will come out of the Liberal National Party somewhere, sometime. Um, but they've got to break the mould of being oppositional to every good thing that we want to do in this country when it comes to advancing the fundamental uh, legacies and resolving them, as I say, in a restorative justice manner to what we know uh, are critical for our future. Now, you you can't live in the bubble that wants to keep us frozen in the past. And and I'm sure if he wants to um, lead the country one day, he's he's going to have to take note of what the Australian people says. Mm. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying he will, but <laughs> you know, I was going to say you're not you're not predicting this as an outcome. <laughs> you're just saying that he should listen. But but yeah, I'm I'm just curious actually that you think that he would shift. Oh, politicians are politicians. You know, it, it's about power to them. Ultimately, if if he gets advice, uh, there's no going back. 
This is the importance of the, of the referendum. There's no one going back if there's a yes vote. It's in our constitution. You can take the political position not to use that head of power to pass laws to set the voice up. That's, that's his option. Mm. But that would, that would be a really, really big call in the face of a successful referendum that says we want to recognise the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first peoples of this country. We want them to have a voice to the parliament and to the executive and to make representations on matters that affect them that are advisory to the parliament. And we want the parliament to remain in control and, and in charge of what the legislation is that sets it up. Mm. So, you know, what's so fearful about all of that, for goodness sake? Well, well, I suspect Australians will hear a great deal about what's fearful about that between uh, now and uh, the 14th of October. Um, let's end on this note. Now, um, obviously, there are a lot of Australians at the moment who are very preoccupied with material things, cost of living, rising price of, of housing finance, people very, very focused on their material security at this point in time, may not have the bandwidth to process uh, this concept and to prioritise it. Uh, you said to me a minute ago in the event Australians voted no and but it was close that perhaps the recourse would be at the state level. I guess I fear that in the event Australians say no, this will chill all of those initiatives everywhere, that uh, politicians, state premiers will read the referendum and say, oh, no, I think now is not the time to progress any of this agenda because people just don't have the bandwidth for it. So, Pat, you said to me that you're 75, you're thinking a lot about the past, you've spent a lifetime in this field pushing ahead in good times and in adverse times. I'd like you to share with the listeners what a rebuff of The Voice would mean for you. What will that mean to you? Well, it'll be a, um, it'll be a sad, sad occasion. Uh, I'd be very sad about it. I'd feel disappointed. I wouldn't feel angry because I can understand if people want to say no. It's their democratic right and it's their choice. But I, I, would, I would say that we would be a diminished nation and I, and I would have some grave concerns about our international standing. We, we are restoring a lot of that in the Pacific, in Asia, in the, in the subcontinent. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the world is in a very challenging place these days. Uh, we saw how deaths in custody was used against us when Keating was the Prime Minister uh, by Mahathir Air from Malaysia. Uh, Australia cannot underestimate our international status and stature when it comes to dealing with people who aren't out of the British mould, uh, who don't have the same, who, who may have injustices in their own nations, but who look to get advantages in the, in the economic areas or in, in any other manner. Uh, as a nation, uh, I saw at the UN when I sat in the Australian chair in, in, in the assembly, and looked down and saw our, our consul uh, secretary or general there uh, cheering the international forum and thought, well, Australia's a, at home we think of ourselves bound by, our, you know, by the sea, but internationally we are seen by many, many people as a good nation, an honourable nation, but a nation that has to fix this question of its relationship with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. 
And I'd be saddened by the fact that we would be diminished in the eyes internationally of many people. We'd be diminished in our own eyes uh, for not having responded to a, a challenge that I think we're worthy of enjoying. And, and, I, and I think we would find it very hard to, uh, to, to get trust from Aboriginal people to actually buy in to the constancy and the grind of trying to make the changes that are so critical to the quality of life of many of our people. Um, there are a lot of people who are tired, there are a lot of people who have fought hard, there are a lot of people who um, uh, I think would be, would be just shattered. Uh, and I'd be disappointed for them, I'd be disappointed for the leaders of, of our past, Pearl Gibbs, a whole range of Doug Nichols, Vincent Lingiari, uh, my own grandparents, my mothers and, uh, and her people. Uh, I'd be disappointed that we haven't been able to rise above our own fundamental prejudices to see the better good. And uh, in saying that, I don't say people are uh, malicious if they oppose it, but we do all live within the confines of our insights um, and our knowledge. And uh, I would hope that, you know, we, we, we better understand each other and that uh, we do try to build a better Australia because... We're going to have another discussion at some time, and I may not be here for it, but on the Republic and our position with the monarchy and all of that, and the position of Aboriginal people will re-emerge in that situation. Uh, so, you know, as the Prime Minister says, if not now, when? So let's deal with it now. Let's put ourselves in a good position to go forward, not only for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but for all Australians. And I'd be hopeful that we'd come back to this question and think, why the hell didn't we do it back then? Thank you very much for joining us, Pat. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I really do appreciate it. Thank you to my producers, Alison Chan and Karishma Luthria, and uh, the EP of this show is, of course, Miles Martignoni. I also just want to say thank you very much to my team, particularly to Paul Carp, uh, for helming this program while I was on a period of sabbatical. Uh, I'm sure you will have enjoyed their company. You know how brilliant they are. And uh, you'll be hearing a lot of them between now and the end of the year. And we'll be back with you next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.